Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to the Dogcast. We hope you all have your sick notes ready for tomorrow with the Washington Capitals parade. I'm your host, Blake Vinnie, and I was told this week that I'm the Tom Wilson of podcasting. I'm pretty sure that's a good thing. Joining me today to look ahead to the National Series with the Yankees is Ricky Keeler. How are you doing, Ricky? I'm doing good, Blake. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I've, I think I've finally recovered from the multi-day hangover. They're all party down, huh? <laughs> yeah, um, thankfully I probably don't feel as bad as Ovechkin at the moment, but I don't think he cares. So first off, there was another sport played other than hockey this week. Uh, we're going to look back on the National Series with the San Francisco Giants. So obviously they dropped, dropped the series 2-1. to one. They lost the first game on Friday and then obviously Chow on Sunday sandwiched around a, a bit of a run fest, which has been kind of the story of the season in this, um, in this series, had it in a microcosm. The offense has been inconsistent. Is, there, is this something that you think could change with the injuries coming back? Uh, really, I think it just comes about you have to get the same chemistry going with the lineup again. You know, Just because Adam Eaton comes back and we'll see if Daniel Murphy comes back this week, that doesn't necessarily mean the offense is going to go back to scoring eight runs a game again. You've got back diminished roles for Matt Adams, back to maybe diminished roles for either Juan Soto or Michael Taylor. So there's going to be an adjustment there. But just because you get everybody back, the offense is going to go through some struggles. And, and again, Max Scherzer pitched really good on Sunday. Just weren't able to get the win for him to score any runs. And all in all, the pitching for the most part, I think, had a good series. You just run into a Giants team that, even without Mass and Bumgarner in that series, is starting to find their form offensively in a very wide-open division. Yeah, I think we definitely faced them at the wrong time. Like you said, their, their offense is finally coming around. They're getting a few people healthy again. And kind of compared to some of the other teams that we've faced, um, we faced them at a good time, and obviously the Giants wasn't the case. Uh, it's interesting to see how Michael Taylor's going to do. Kind of, he's been on a pretty hot streak. Last 11 starts, he's actually got a 3-3-3 average, which is seemingly unheard of for Taylor. I think at least he's going to stick around on the roster, but like you say, do you think he's going to be relegated to a platoon role? I think you have to at this point. Maybe not right away, a couple weeks from now, because... Adam Eaton is going to get adjusted to playing every day, and I'm sure he'll get a couple of days here or there, so Taylor will get his way to play. But let's say it's the same situation around middle of July. And, yeah, Michael Taylor might be in a platoon role, might come off the bench, because Juan Soto is not going to see the bench, or at least not as often, even though logically that would be the guy you would pick, but he's on such a role right now with his opposite field power. You can't do anything with that. But Taylor's been around – in the majors before, he kind of think knows the situation that he's in, and I'm sure he'll find a way to contribute with whatever role they put him in. Yeah, I think you can't... There's no way you can have Soto in a platoon role. If you're going to do that, you may as well send him down to AAA. Right. Um, so, on the subject of Adam Eaton, I don't know if you saw or not, he was actually playing right field in his debut on Saturday and putting Harper in centre. What did you make of that? I'm wondering... I did see that. I'm wondering if that's just to kind of take the stress off of him early because this guy has only played like two months of action in two years. I don't know if you really want him leading the outfielders. He kind of has, maybe, I don't think he played much of spring training this year anyway. So this is kind of like spring training for him right now. So it makes sense to let the more experienced center fielder, 
it's odd that we call Bryce Harper the more experienced center fielder, but he's at least played it a little bit more than Adam Eaton has in the last couple of years. So maybe just get Eaton used to playing the outfield again. And then like we talked about with the lineup, gradually he'll move to playing every day. Gradually he'll go back to playing center field. Maybe he even plays some left field because he's used to playing that. We've seen him in that spot as well. And the Nats could use that everyday left fielder in the lineup or at least when you give Juan Soto a day, that's maybe where Eaton can play. Yeah, it was certainly interesting. I, th- I think given that he played, uh, I think he played three games in center on rehab and three in left, I did kind of expect him to be thrown into the fire, but I guess how it turned out, Harper didn't exactly look out of place. Like you say, he played there pretty much his whole rookie year and then he played there a bit in 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. So he could have looked worse and I guess we've been spoiled with Michael Taylor's defense in center field so far that Anything compared to that is going to be below par. Yeah, people think that even with Taylor's 219 average. I mean, his glove is still one of the better gloves in the league. He, I guess he's a, a good division comparison. He's like a Juan Lagares with more pop. So if mm. you, you, every team can have that. I mean, the Nats have so many run producers. You can ha- you, you could afford to keep a guy like that in your lineup. He just has to take more pitches. I think that's really the, the one knock that's been on him his entire career is he just doesn't work the count in that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's a bat that you can stomach if you... So you might be able to stomach a poor catching, a poor hitting catcher and potentially number seven being poor, but then the rest of the lineup has to show up, which it hasn't lately, and that's kind of exaggerated his bat a little bit. And that's where they're getting they miss Ryan Zimmerman's bat at first base. I think that's definitely... They need to get back. Daniel Murphy, they'll get back. And even Murphy has been... Uh, from what I read, he had the big six RV I gave him one of his rehab assignments, but he's also had cases where he has not looked sharp. So maybe DHing him this week if he does play Tuesday or Wednesday would be good for him. But even Murphy's defense is going to be – was already a question mark when he was healthy. I can't imagine the question mark it is when he comes back. Yeah, I think he made two or three errors in one game at second base, which kind of, uh, kind of gets you worried. And I was thinking that he – would probably be best off moving to first base. But if you've got Matt Adams on the left side of a potential platoon there, is there room for Murphy at first base? I don't think so. It's a position that he's played before, but I think you'd want to just get him back to playing some second base. I think getting him back in the swing of things. I know Wilmer Defoe has played well when he's in the lineup, and that's another thing. How Wilmer Defoe handle a bench role? Because we know he's not that good of a player off the bench compared to when he's in the lineup. That's another question that Davey Martinez is going to have to figure out somehow. Yeah. Uh, also in the series, the Nets suffered a couple of key injuries. They've uh, lost Steven Strasburg to shoulder information and Brandon Kinsler to forearm tightness, although neither are expected to be out for too long, potentially about around 15 to 20 days. How big are those losses going to be in the short term? I think I think Kinsler is the bigger one than Strasburg because a forearm strain, you never know what that can lead to. I mean, you could start off a green one forearm strain and you never know if the dreaded two words that deal with pitchers, Tommy John end up coming into the picture just because you have a green one strain now doesn't mean you won't have a severe strain a couple weeks from now, depending on if there's a setback. So they need Brandon Kinsler in that bullpen. If anything, just take some of the stress off Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle. I know Justin Miller has been this uh, great Cinderella story out of the bullpen. We'll see how long that goes. Guerrero is back up. Trevor Gott uh, is up too. But the Nats only really have those reliable options other than Madsen and Doolittle. I think they can, if Strasburg's only out two or three weeks, I think they can get by with Eric Fetty or 
any combination they want to try, especially if Jeremy Hellickson, if he comes back pretty soon, that could kind of lessen the – because Strasburg's going to hit the DL once or twice every year. This is the way it goes. I think the Nats have somewhat enough depth to stomach Strasburg being out for a short term. The Kinsler one is scarier, especially if if he's out long term, then you have to consider bullpen piece once again in the Nats trade deadline plan. Yeah, I think um, I wouldn't. I think I'm in the short term for the Nats. I'm more worried about missing Strasburg. Obviously, that paired with the Helix injury is less than ideal because obviously you can roll with Eric Fetty for a bit, but then you've got to have Jeffrey Rodriguez. Can he do what he did against Atlanta or Tommy Malone? And that, if it comes down to it kind of scares me but then like you say Justin Miller who I actually wrote about yesterday uh and kind of how he's transformed himself from a really so-so reliever to an absolute dominant one at the back end of the bullpen he just seems to be missing bats and it's primarily down to his stance change his front foot is slightly more towards third base and now he's got more of a crossfire action which is deceiving here so he's gonna I think he's gonna be the guy that will step in in the seventh inning well even when the starting rotation squad Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Edwin Jackson is still there. So he, oh, he's not anymore. Oh, okay. No, he uh, he opted out about two weeks ago. I think. Okay, so Jackson's not there. But even in the case you have Austin Bolt is an option that could still be used. I you know he got off to a good start. Has not been good. Uh, last I checked, a couple weeks ago, he's in the mix. Betty, like you said, is in the mix. Rodriguez, I saw had a good first appearance against Atlanta. Uh, Malone's had a major experience. If the offense carries them for like a little bit. That's fine. The, 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 the key is to have Strasburg healthy in the second half. And when he's healthy in the second half, he's a dominant pitcher. So I don't think Strasburg's injury is that big of a red flag. Because mm. you you can find a start. Like this year, I think the market, even if Strasburg is out a while, is pretty good on back-end starters. You can find one. We'll talk about it. You can't find front-end guys. But you could definitely find back-end guys. Yeah. Uh, and then finally kind of touching on the catching situation. Pedro Severino, who I've been a huge champion of, uh, is now in a horrible slump, just as things goes. Uh, last 16 games, he's only 4 for 49 with a 0.89 average. And uh, I also wrote today about how John Heyman reported that the Nets checked in on JT Realmuto. Is that still realistic? It, it feels like both sides are still uh, not finding that middle ground yet. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think that's a realistic option just because the names Victor Robles and Juan Soto will pop up, and obviously Robles is hurt, and Soto is contributing to the big league club. You don't want to take a piece away from there. I don't think a package center on Carter Keyboom, as much as he's hitting in Potomac and some of the grand slams that he's had, is going to do a lot. I mean, would you throw Will Crow in the mix, who's having a fantastic year for Potomac? I don't even think the Nats would go that route because who knows how fast Will Crow could be up with the way he's been pitching. Uh, I don't think catcher is that many of a need. I think they can get by at catcher. They'll get Roddy Reed back soon off suspension. Uh, he'll definitely play a boost, at least offensively, maybe not so much defensively. But I don't think they have to go overboard for Real Muto. They're not really. They're in a position where they don't really have to go overboard for anybody, and that's a good thing to have six weeks into the deadline. Yeah, I think I, I looked at some kind of package around uh, Kibu Mott. I don't think you could get away with anything less than top end piece being Keyboom, Keyboom, Goodwin, Daniel Johnson, and then Rowdy Reed actually trying to give the Marlins another catching option, which was the one that I suggested maybe a slight lowball on that based on the fact that they've obviously asked for Robles and Soto. But if you were the Nats, would you do that deal? 
I think you have to, especially at least if, in Keeboom's case, if you can extend Anthony Rendon and, the, and Trey Turner, there's not really a need for Carter Keeboom going forward on the left side of the infield. I'm sure they would want to leave packages with that. I remember a trade rumor last year that they were like trying to headline Keeboom and a Brad Hand package. He's just not at that top prospect level where he's top 20, 30 in the game. And that's fine. You can be a top 100 prospect, still be really good, and not be Vlad Jr. or Cunha or any of these top-notch guys. That's okay. The problem, though, with Rio Muto, I think, in the Marlins' case, is they want to – this is their last piece they have to trade that has any value. They're going to try to maximize it as much as they can, and I don't think the Nats system has enough top-of-the-line guys now that either they're injured or up in most cases to get a deal like that done. Yeah, I think it, it's a tricky one. I think you need the Marlins' price to come down, and you wonder whether – the fact that he's entering arbitration, I think it's this offseason, may may lower the price slightly because obviously they're trying to cut costs and arbitration then starts valuing the player at a normal value rather than the pre-arb value. So is that something that might factor into it? I think so. And also it being an in-division in, in trade. So in-division trades, the prices are going to be a little bit higher than they would, let's say, if the Marlins trade into Pittsburgh. I'm just throwing a random team out there. I don't think three teams is going to <laughs> But, but if I'm right, I want credit for it. No, but I think uh, <laughs> I think that they're going to look for this is their last piece. I think they they this is the last piece for the true rebuilds, and they got to get the most they can. I don't think the Nats the just don't have the deal to get that done, but they have enough depth to get other pieces done that they need. Hmm. Uh, so I think that wraps us up on the uh, the Giant series. But I also wanted to get your brief thoughts on the Nats draft, obviously. If you don't know, Ricky writes for Pinstripe Prospect. So he did a whole raft of draft profiles before the MLB draft just a, a week ago now, I think it was. So what are some of your brief thoughts on the Nats draft? Obviously, he went Mason Denneberg 1, Tim Cate 2, Reed Scheller 3 are the ones that I've got noted down. What stood out to you? Well, I think Denneberg was an interesting one. He was uh, mocked to the Nats in a lot of first-round mock drafts. So... If you read a lot of mock drafts, the Nats next to a player, they're going to pick him. Look at the last two years. He has the the injury concerns, but I think you got to take a chance, especially at the bottom of the first round. It's not a bad risk there. It's much less of a risk than last year's first-round pick, who finally is pitching again. Tim Cates, not a bad option uh, out of Connecticut. He was in a regional with them. I think he's a guy that doesn't rely much on his fastball, but does the off-speed pitches. I saw the interesting play. I didn't get a chance to dive too far into their draft, but they took a, a player out of uh, Vanderbilt, who is supposedly a guy that can maybe help out uh, down yeah, the road. Uh, yeah, that was the. I think that was the last guy I mentioned, Reed Schaller. He, he, um, I think he throws a high nineties fastball, and then he's got a wipeout slider. But he had Tommy John surgery in his sophomore year, I believe. So we know, at least in the Nats' cases, like they like taking those guys with the Tommy John history. Lucas Gilito, for example. So they can get away. And, and also we know they like to use those in trades if needed. Look at Dane Dunning. So they can, and they'll find ways to uh, be creative with their drafts. And overall, I think the Nats had a, a pretty good draft. If Denneberg stays healthy, he's got really good talent and has the velocity with the fastball, I think, to be a successful starting pitcher. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, I think the key part is that they did take him with some of the college uh college arms still around then so they're confident that they can sign him even though it hasn't happened yet and yeah um he was actually one of the guys that we profiled which i'm quite happy of uh 100 success rate until next season but yeah uh like you say high upside guy and it's 
exactly the type of profile that the Nets like to draft there. Exactly. I know a lot of people also like the Griffin, uh, not Griffin, Gage Canning from Arizona State. I saw a lot of places where he's been like the sleeper player in the outfield. So at least adding another outfielder into the mix, never a bad situation. They've got a lot of good outfield depth in the minors. Guys like Blake Perkins uh, down in Potomac's having a, he's a good leadoff hitter. So being in that outfield, I know Soto gets a lot of the attention, but they have some decent outfield bats, Andrew Stevenson, that where Canning, if he plays well, can move up the system. Yeah. So obviously, again, we brought Ricky on to preview the Yankees series. So, so far this season, the Yankees are 42 and 19. They're ahead of the Red Sox by half a game. Uh, I expected a little smirk from Ricky there, but no. Well, we don't game. play. A, we don't. A, nobody's played the Ian amount of games. Too much rain. But B, I hope <laughs> we don't have more than half a game this time. Last time we <laughs> recorded last time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting one in a week when half of our team's injured as well, and we can't use anyone in the second half of the suspended game. I, I would have argued bring Tanaka back, but for some reason those hamstrings just did not work out that master plan. They could <laughs> just let Tanaka finish that half game and save the bullpen for game two. Yeah, I think the, the Nats had already gone to their bullpen after Geo had pitched, so they can't, they can't quite do that. Uh, so in their last series against the Mets, the Yankees took it 2-1. to one. They... 1-4-1 in the opener as Tanaka and the bullpen outdueled Jacob deGrom. No mean feat there. Aaron Judge smacked Nate in go-ahead shot in game two to win 4-3. And then the Mets stole stole it on Sunday Night Baseball with Todd Frazier being the hero on the other side of New York. So what takeaways did you have from the Mets series? It seems like the game that the Mets should have won, they lost. It was a weird series. Todd Frazier had two home runs in that series. So I'm sure Yankee fans weren't so happy about that. All in all, I think the Yankees... Most of the offense in that Subway series from both teams was through the long ball. You mentioned Judge, but I think the bigger story from Saturday's game, uh, Glaber Torres hit another solo shot. Miguel Andujar, a huge two-run homer in the sixth off Steven Matz to tie that game. They got decent pitching from Domingo Herman after a rough first inning. They needed that. Tanaka was great. He had the leadoff homer and, and settled in before that injury. So we'll, we'll see how long he's out. He's supposedly out for about a few weeks. So that's a huge injury for the Yankees. They did get a big home run from Brett Gardner, who's heating up against DeGrom to break that game open. You mentioned Sunday night, and that was the big surprise. Severino only made one mistake. But in the National League Park, when you need runs, you're going to come out of the game. So he only went five innings. Seth Lugo's really good. Seth Lugo should be in the Mets rotation. Gisellman should be the closer. That's a topic for another day. But right now, Seth Lugo has to be there. They need to rest Noah Syndergaard as long as possible. Uh, but I think this the big problem the Yankees have right now, and I don't is starting rotation being one. Gary Sanchez is terrible right now. He's hitting he's hitting 190, so he's definitely not where he should be. Uh, and you wonder if he's focusing a lot on his defense and then it's, it's taking that struggles to his offensive game because a lot of people think he's the best hitter on this team. I don't agree with that. I still think it's Judge, but Sanchez is right up there. And if he can't get it going within the next couple of weeks, you really have to consider – Austin Romine playing more because when he gets in the lineup, he's getting hits and he's helping Sonny Gray a little bit on the map uh, in terms of the defense. So Gary Sanchez really needs to start heating up because if you have 200 at bats and you're hitting under 200, that's enough of a sample size to be really concerned. Yeah, even Michael A. Taylor's over the Mendoza line. When your batting average is lower than Michael Taylor's, it's some something and close to Jose Reyes, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I was looking at that, and Roman, I think Roman's hitting about 350 in his 
limited events. Do you think Sanchez is someone to take the the eight role, or is that still occupied by all the various outfielders that they have rotating? Yeah, I think it's still a rotating role, and Sanchez will get his DH at bats, but you need Stanton sometimes as the DH, especially when the Yankees still love playing Aaron Hicks. A lot of Yankee fans hate Aaron Hicks, but he does a good job where he gets on base, he plays good defense, and you need guys like that. They just want to see Clint Frazier up, but they're not going to. Yankees aren't going to bring Clint Frazier up because they're. I'm sure they're trying to showcase him in AAA to trade him in a month. There's no reason to call him up when you're playing this well. So the DH bats are going to rotate between Stanton, between Judd, between Sanchez, and Romine, like you said, was hitting well. I think he had like a 10 plus game hitting streak. I don't know if he. I forget if he still has it, but he had it at one point. Yankees have a lot of depth. I mean, you could even Brandon Drury is in the minors and he's got a 32 game on base streak. <laughs> So there's a lot, really. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying send Gary Sanchez down or bench him entirely, but maybe giving Romine an extra game or two a week isn't necessarily a bad thing if he's going to hit and help the pitchers on the mound while this rotation is still a little bit in flux. Hmm. Yeah, one of the names that you mentioned uh, mentioned earlier, Miguel Anduha, is actually kind of taking the batting mantle lately with Sanchez struggling. Judge isn't doing um, uh, doing judge things. He's He's kind of following in the same mold as Bryce Harper. We'll touch on that in a bit because obviously I want to talk about Andujar. He's 363 over the last 15 days, uh, 366 with three home runs, 11 RBI and a 1.179 OPS. And obviously with Gleyber Torres getting most of the prospect attention, he kind of went under the radar. And I think he was mentioned in a few of the trade talks preseason. What's Andujar? In like this season to watch. Uh, his, his extra base hit ability is amazing. He's got over 20 doubles already, and he's only been up about a month and a half. Uh, he just easily get when he makes contact, he hits it hard, and sometimes he hits it out of the park. He had a big grand slam in Toronto earlier last week, and him and Torres have done a good job in those late-game situations, which as young players you don't see very often, but they slow the game down, they make the big plays when they need to. The Yankees struggle a little bit defensively, but Andujar's Struggles were defensive-based was the worry before he got called up. His defense hasn't been terrible. So that's really, if you can get good offense from him and okay defense, you take it. I would still trade, if I could get a guy by the name of Jacob deGrom, I would absolutely headline Miguel Andujar because he got brain injury, and who knows what the Manny Machado sweepstakes. But that's probably one of the only guys that would trade Andujar for would be a, a high-quality ace. But he's done a good job at third base, and it's made Brandon Drury pretty much an afterthought. Yeah, he was. Um, I remember they made a point of keeping Andujar in the minors before the season. Was that just um, just to get him some more seasoning, or was there something contractual around that? No, that it was more defensive base, and I think they want him to play every day, especially they, with Drury was the opening day third baseman. Andujar was not going to get the at bats on the bench, especially in the American League. You don't really get a chance to play that often, like if you have a bench in the National League. So it was really a mixed case of. We got to we got to get him to play every day. Same similar with Torres, got to get him in to play every day, especially since he came off with Tommy John uh, on an injury he had last year. So getting those guys a chance to play, and then when you need them, they're right there, and you can call them up. And both have made great impacts on this team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and obviously, I talked about Aaron Judge. I said he's he's following in the same mold as Harper with the same low batting average, but they're they're hitting dingers and they're still getting on base. Is that Kind of a, a comparison that you're seeing at the moment? Yeah, it's a little bit of worry with Judge. He's got 35 strikeouts in his last uh, 30 days, hitting about 207. 
And Judge, at least in the early stages of the season, is doing a good job recognizing which pitches to hit. Now, Judge doesn't get a lot of strike calls just because, well, he's a tall guy. Strike zone's not the same for him compared to other guys. But you could tell he's pressed a little bit. He came up last night, got uh, got the day off on Sunday, and then grounded out on the first pitch, although it helped that Jose Reyes didn't touch second base. But he still reached base anyway. I'm not so worried about Judge Stanton. I think still has had a lot of strikeouts, and he just still had he's had the home run stretches, but not the consistency yet. Where you like you're wondering, okay, you got 15 homers, but you're still striking out a lot, and that's really the problem with the Yankees. If there is a problem as they play into the summer months and hopefully into October, a lot of guys that strike out a ton, and when you go up against the Astros, the Red Sox, the Indians. Heck, maybe even Seattle if they have to play a one-game playoff and, and James Paxton. That's a big concern. Hmm. So which of the Nationals are you keen to see? We've touched on a few of the names like Daniel Murphy and Eric Feddy coming into this series. Are those a couple that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, we'll get into Fetty um, a little bit later, but I think he's a guy that you think can make a big impact uh, into the rotation. Um, he's added velocity to the fastball. I want to see the change up as his development has gone on from that from last year. I want to see Juan Soto. I don't get a chance to watch the Nats games I used to when I was a district on deck. So anytime I can get a chance to watch Juan Soto, it's a treat. And Bryce Harper. I mean, this is going to be his last visit to New York before his free agency. I, mean, I thought, I thought you were going to say before his, uh, before he makes it his permanent home. No, no, that, that, that's a third, that's a, that's another Beltway player that we'll I'm sure we'll be talking about. But um, no, I'm interested to see the ovation or the serenade of booze or whatever the New York fans give him uh, this week for two days. They might be chucking flower petals at him this time. <laughs> New uh, York, you know, it's New York. They like you till they burn till, till you burn them. Then they get really mad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I am interested to see Daniel Murphy. It'll be interesting to see how much he plays this entire week with the DH. I think, um, obviously, he was in the clubhouse on Sunday, I think, against a, a lefty he didn't play, and obviously, they don't want him necessarily playing the field. But I think against Sabathia and Sonny Gray, you probably will see in both games this series with the DH there. Yeah, it makes sense that even if it's just one game this week, just to get Murphy into the mix and into the swing of things, I think is a good thing. They're, they're going to make him get adjusted again. So it's definitely, but DH, short porch, kind of makes sense to this be the series to try to get Daniel Murphy's offensive game going. He can get a couple, get a home run or two in the right field. Yeah, and obviously taking kind of the defensive pressure on him. He only has to focus on the one thing that he's really, really good at. Absolutely. Uh, I'm also keen to see Rendon, who's been um, who's been taking it on on the offense. Um, 275 average, couple home runs, 11 RBI, and he's that one key right-handed bat that the Nats really need right now. Trey Turner's doing okay, but then a lot of their better hitters are left-handers. So when they face a couple lefties like they did against the Giants, their bats went a little bit quiet. Uh, and I also noticed, not that I'm bitter or anything, is that he wasn't on the top five third baseman in the National League voting for the All-Star game. Is that uh, something that you agree with? Well, Rendon right now is 44 games. He's hitting about 260. I, I got to think not playing that many games this year played a factor in that. There's a lot of good third basemen in the National League. you got Arenado. you got Bryant. It's tough for Rendon to crack the top five there. I think 
you've got more of a case of Trey Turner, who's fourth, pretty wide open at shortstop. Brandon Crawford is not exactly running away with everything. So if anything, I think Turner's got a better case to move up than Anthony Rendon just because you see Turner steals almost 20 bases, has about 25 RBIs. You want to see that on base go up a little bit more, even though it's about 340. But you're right on Rendon. He's definitely the X factor. If he starts to heat up, that takes the offense to a whole other level. And having him be able to hit in various numbers of spots, he can hit two, he can hit four, he can hit as low as six if you need him to. But um, having that flexibility there around whoever is hitting at the time, if it's Harper, if it's Murphy, if it's Eaton getting healthy again, he gives you that flexibility with just his general plate skills. He doesn't do one thing great, but he does everything really well. And some guy that's a, every team needs one or two of those guys like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now we're going to look at each of the matchups individually. Obviously, there's only two, and unlike last time, we do want to play both games. We want to play more than a half a game this time. <laughs> What's the weather like in New York? I, um, I'm not used to uh, asking about the weather on air, but we'll do it this time. I am, I am not a weatherman, nor the, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Uh, but I will look into that, and we will have an update on that in a little bit. <laughs> Coming to you at 8 o'clock, it's Ricky Keeler with the weather. Uh, All right, here we go. I got it for you. Tuesday, it's seven, Tuesday, 72, no rain. Wednesday, there is rain. It's supposed to be 80 degrees, so maybe we'll see if that's, a, that's during the game. So, uh, so Wednesday might be the game if there is rain. It'll be that fog. But it's supposed to be in the after, later in the day, so maybe they'll have enough time at night to play. Hopefully. At least we get the first game in on Tuesday. And that's <laughs> they, a, that's they a they nice thing. They can do all split doubleheaders, like the Yankees like the home game for like one of them or something. They'll <laughs> just come back to New York again. They'll, they'll play against the Mets and then play to stay over a night and play in the Bronx or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I was trying to do a nice segue for the nice weather on Tuesday to let's look ahead to Tuesday's <laughs> matchup. Uh, it's Tanner Ark and CC Sabathia on Tuesday at 7.05 p.m. Tanner Ark, 3-6 with a 3.56 ERA. CC Sabathia, 3-1 with a 3.59 ERA. We talked about CC Sabathia last time, but obviously we didn't get to, we didn't get to actually watch him pitch in the second game. Uh, he's on course for the lowest Cape and nine of his career. I guess that's to be... Expected, but he does have even splits against lefties and righties. Is is this a game that I think we will see Murphy? That's why he came into the clubhouse on Sunday. But will we see the likes of Eaton, Matt Adams, maybe? Possible. I think Sabathia had a good start against Toronto last time out. Seven innings, two runs, three hits, gave a couple of home runs, but struck out six. You mentioned this. The strikeouts aren't there, but Sabathia doesn't really rely on those. Had a decent outing against Houston. Uh, prior to that, he has gone through his fair share of struggles since that red-hot start to the season. Last few times out, he's given up usually uh, the total, I think, is like 18 runs over his last five, so it's a little bit higher than it was to begin the season. But now that Tanaka's out, his role has to go up a little bit more because it's really se- it's really Severino, Gray, and Sabathia at this point. They'll have Herman. It looks like they're going to call up this kid, uh, Jonathan Loisiga, on Friday pitch, and he's one of their top pitching prospects in the 40-man roster. Great strikeout to Walker ratio. I'm excited to see him pitch if that if it is him. But Sabathia, I think you just need to get five, six strong innings out of him. He definitely does that well. He had a bad May, as I mentioned, ERA of about six. 
close to six, about 5.92. Uh, Eaton is only one freight against Sabathia, so maybe we don't see Eaton in this game. Maybe we see him against Sonny Gray. I think that's a possibility. I'm interested to see, interested to see in this game Tanner Roark. He's got to get the ball down. If he doesn't do that, the Yankees can absolutely crush the ball out of the park because Roark doesn't play away with velocity. And you mentioned the three and six, but a lot of those situations, from what I noticed, is Roark just not getting run support a lot of the time. So this one really comes down to if the Nats can get to Sabathia early, they've got a good shot to win. Otherwise, I think it's in the Yankees' advantage, especially you don't want to play the Yankees after they get shut out and then had a day off after that, too. Yeah, I think Roark's going to be the key, especially with some of the rotation injuries. He's got to be one to step up and kind of take take the role of that number two or three start with Strasburg and Hellickson down. And like you say, it's the record is really backwards because the last couple of games he's actually had decent run support, whereas before he's lost games with no run support and pitch well. Um, when you get 11 in your last start, that kind of helps too. It also helps when the Rays actually throw an, op- throw an opener and have an actual starting pitcher. But never yeah, I could, I could get into the running the score-up argument, but that's definitely for another podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Tanner Art's given up eight runs in his last three appearances. Uh, he's had a, a couple bumpy starts, and then he had the weird relief appearance against the Braves because the bullpen was absolutely shot. But his... His fifth is back above four, and it'll be an interesting one. Again, can he keep the ball down in Yankee Stadium against the power hitters? I think the biggest miss, biggest matchup in this game is Roark against Stanton. Stanton does have four home runs against Roark in his career, but he's really bad at home. <laughs> Yankee Stadium this season, he's hitting 207, six home runs, 16 RBIs, and he struck out 43 times. And the Yankee fans kind of don't like when you don't play well at Yankee Stadium this game this year. Really? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> the Bronx cheers get louder and louder for him every time. Uh, but I think if Stan can maybe run into one, that'll help. Like I mentioned before, he, ha- he has hit two or three home runs over the last week. He had a big home run on Friday against the Mets and hit one in Toronto. So the home runs come in bunches, so maybe Stan starts to find something from the home run scheme of things. And with these lineups, maybe one or two home runs makes a difference in this game. Yeah. Uh, have you got a score prediction for this one, then? I'm going to go with the Yankees. I think like a 5-3 to three kind of game. I think it's one where Roar keeps them in the game. I think Sabathia does a good job keeping it to like two or three runs. And I think the Yankees having the whole – they gave basically every big guy in the bullpen day off on Sunday. It was Jason Shreve, Adam Warren, and Jonathan Holder to finish that game Sunday night. Holder's been really good. But Green's available, but Sansis is available. Chapman, who's revealed he's been dealing with knee problems, but he's available. And he's been really good for this team. I just think the Yankees having all their big bullpen pieces is going to help them steal a game in this series. Maybe it's this one. Yeah, I think I've uh, I've got the Yankees to win probably a higher scoring affair at about 8-6. to six. And potentially it does come down to that late bullpen where the Nats playing from behind their, their back end of the bullpen has struggled a bit with the likes of Kelly, who... That seems like disaster written all over it in this series. Uh, but yeah, I think having those uh, healthy bullpen arms, like you say, or fresh bullpen arms, uh, can help lock down that win in the first game. Yeah, I think definitely, especially like you said, Sean Kelly, who's coming back to pitch. He's pitched with the Yankees, so maybe, maybe he helps the Yankees with a pitch or two over the plate. But I just think having the Yankees getting a day off to regroup wasn't – they were really pressing against Seth Lugo last night or Sunday night, really, as we record, just swinging, at every, swinging at a lot of first couple of pitches, not working the count. 
we've kind of seen Torres do that a little bit too. Now that he's found this power, he kind of swings a little bit, a little bit too much over the top. But he does get when he makes contact, it goes a long way. I could see it definitely being a more of a power surge in this game, and both teams having the day off will help. And but I think when it's even like that, you got to go with the Yankees bullpen. Chad Green's been great. Matanzas has found the fountain of uh, success again with a hundred mile an hour fastball and started to control it. And Chapman, I think, has been one of, if not the best closer in the American League this year. Mm. And then in the second game on Wednesday, it's still TBD, but all signs point there. Eric Feddy, it's kind of on his rotation against Sonny Gray. Eric Feddy, 0-1 with a 4-7-6 ERA. Sonny Gray with a 4-4 record and 4-8-1 ERA. And he he seems like he's been turning it around lately. He's got a 2-4-5 ERA in his last four starts. And his last couple of starts, he's been superb again. It's been a tale of two places for Sonny Gray. He's been really good on the road which is what his last two starts were, six innings, one run against the Orioles, and then eight innings of two-hit ball on his last year against the Blue Jays. He didn't get the win because the Yankees won in 13 innings, three to nothing. Rare you see a no-score game in extra innings these days, but that's the way it goes. But Gray is awful at home. There's something about pitching at Yankee Stadium I guess he just doesn't like. 7.22 ERA in six starts, batting average against a 294. Six of his seven home runs are allowed in the Bronx. And... People are really impatient with Sonny Gray. The Yankees gave up a lot to get him, Dustin Fowler, Jorge Mateo, James Caprillion, uh, to make that deal. And they want Gray to pitch like a number two, number three. And he's just not doing that right now, especially at home. He walks a lot of guys. He's got 30 walks this season. Maybe facing a team that he's not familiar with will help him in this matchup. He hasn't good of a home run, but it's playing. Give a triple to Trey Turner uh, when he was with Oakland. But the Nats aren't that familiar with Sonny Gray. Maybe that plays his advantage to a degree. But I think this is one where the Nats offense can really get a crooked number just because I can't trust Sunday Gray Yankee Stadium right now. And I'm interested to see what Eric Fetty can do. Big stage. We saw it at Wrigley Field last year that Eric Fetty's guy seems to perform his best in big moments. He gets the fastball velocity back up to where it should be as opposed to what it was last year and he was doing the bullpen for the beginning of the season. If that changeup can develop into that secondary pitch, He's got back into the rotation stuff, like like a number three, number four kind of starter. And this is a guy I watched a lot in his minor league stats last year, watched a lot of his games, talked to a lot of people that were covering him, and they can see the, the potential that he has. If I wonder that, how that bullpen stint will affect him down the road, but I'm really excited to see him pitch. I think he can have a good game here. If that changeup stays down, he can get the ground ball out, but yeah, you mentioned last season he was kind of thrown into the fire. He had to face the Rockies and the Cubs in his first two starts, which is not easy. And when you have diminished stuff like he did after that weird bullpen experiment, it it kind of threw him off. But he's like you say, he's bounced back nicely this year. He's got a four seven six ERA down in AAA, but he's fielding an independent pitch and he's still below four. So he's been pitching pretty well. And we saw it in his only appearance this season. He went five and two thirds. Six hits, three earned, one walk, and six strikeouts. And he was kind of unlucky with that um, that half of fly ball that was dropped and awarded a hit, which some people think is quite generous. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see what he can do. And all he needs to do is keep the Nats in this game. I think it's the deciding factor, similar to the first game where it's Tanner Oak, it's going to be Sonny Gray. Which Sonny Gray are we going to see? Are we going to see the one who's dominated at times for the Yankees or the one who's giving up homers for fun in Yankee Stadium? Yeah, that's really the big wild card with him, especially. I also like the fact that while Fetty has a 307 batting average against, 
he's only given up three home runs. And there's a lot of, and I think two of those were to Dylan Cozens in a start against Lehigh Valley, if I remember correctly. I know he gave at least one in that game. But the fact that his, that batting average is so high that the home runs aren't coming anywhere at least is a good sign. He's a good pitcher to give you five, six innings, keep you in any ball game. He's not going to throw eight dominant innings and strike out 12, but he doesn't have to be. He has to be a middle-of-the-road guy. The Yankees need Gray to be a little bit better than what he's shown, and I'm not ready to trust Sonny Gray yet and say that he's going to start performing against, let's face it, he faced two really bad lineups uh, in Baltimore and Toronto. I need to see it against a good lineup. The Nats have a good lineup, albeit the results haven't been there lately. They have one. I think Washington wins, and I think they have an eight to four kind of game. I think that I just can't predict Sunny Gray to win a game against a good lineup right now. Ah, I like it when Yankees fans are pessimistic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I tend to agree. I think with the boom or bust nature of the Nets offense, this does feel like a boom game written all over it. And I think they're going to come out on top seven to three. I think Fetty will give you pretty much the definition of a quality start: six innings, three earned. And then the the Nationals get to Sonny Gray. I could see that. And hey, split, split would be a good, I think, a good thing for both sides. Washington then can go to Toronto, and then the Yankees get to face Tampa Bay. So, yeah, I think both is just find a way to get a, a goal in these mini series. Just get a game and move on to the next one. Yeah, I think it's um, it's the first properly tough. Well, I say the Giants were pretty tough, but it's the first kind of on record the first really tough series the Nats have had since oh wait no the last time they tried to play the Yankees <laughs> you, wouldn't, you uh, wouldn't you wouldn't consider Atlanta the, the, the tough series oh yeah I don't count them as a proper team there's stuff in the ballot box for the all oh, <laughs> I may have to put more Acuna about I saw Acuna was fifth I, I I would vote Ronald Acuna in the all-star game if he was healthy hmm well, they've got Nick Markakis in, but to be fair, you can't begrudge him that much. No, you can't. I was surprised Freddie Freeman. I think Cubs fans in a bad job. Freddie Freeman was dominating Anthony Rizzo. I was really surprised how big that voting margin was. I think the, the things that got me... Alves is leading the second base for the NL, which I kind of get. But then it's Camargo is third in third base, which I found <laughs> bizarre. And then Dansby Swanson's fourth in shortstop. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, voting Javi, I'm voting my fantasy second baseman, Javi Baez. It is a bit gotta get some, but the problem is he doesn't play short anymore. Mm. So that's where Baez's position change hurts him. Mm. Uh, so moving on from my uh, personal grudge against the Braves all star voting, uh, mm. we do have a listener question from Judo Joker. He talks about aside from being very good on base, uh, what intangibles does Adam Eaton bring to the table for the Nets? Obviously, their lineup seemed completely different with him in there on Saturday. Yeah, Judo, I think it's really just like we talked about at the beginning of the show. It's really having guys go back into what their roles were originally. I mean, it's rare that the Nets just haven't had the opening day lamp they were supposed to have when the season started. So I think at least getting Eaton back to where he was hitting doesn't exactly have to impact the Nets with Eaton's results. It can impact other people's results. It can give them more pitches to hit. It allows guys to go back to where they originally were in the lineup. When they get Ryan Zimmerman back, then it goes the same way. Can hitters deal with playing time adjustments? We'll see. But I think Eaton just brings a sense of normalcy. Because let's face it, anything Adam Eaton gives is a bonus right now because the guy just doesn't stay on the field, albeit it's not hamstring injuries. It's really serious injuries. But he's not a reliable guy anymore because of how 
often he's not been on the field. Yeah, and like you say, when you do get him on the field, it gives the whole team a boost. Obviously, they know that he's going to be the spark plug at the top of the order. When he's when he has played for the Nationals, he's probably been all star caliber. And he fits into what they want to do. I mean, Martinez is willing to take chances on the bases, sort of like what Dusty was willing to do. We didn't get to see out a lot last year just because he was hurt. But if Eaton can steal a couple of bases here or there on nights where the offense isn't hitting the bottom of the park, one or two runs can steal you a win. And heck, if Eaton's healthy, he could steal you a series win in October and keep the good DC sports vibes going. <laughs> yeah, I think he was uh, he was mentioning how he hadn't, he didn't attempt the stolen base throughout spring training in the short part of the season that he was available. But then on rehab, I think he attempted a couple of stolen bases. So I think from the mental side, he's feeling a lot healthier. And if you can keep him healthy the rest of the way, even if it's just starting him against righties to start off with, then you're going to have a big boost to the lineup. Exactly. Right now you have to get keep Juan Soto there. Matt Adams has struggled a little bit, but you have to get his bat in there. Heck, you got to get Mark Reynolds' bat. I mean, it's a DH, so at least you can get both Matt Adams and Mark Reynolds in there and talk about power surge if both of those guys are crushing the ball out of the park. Mm. Uh, I think that just about wraps up. Again, I still can't get rid of Ricky. It's the third time he's been on this season. Uh, but where can our listeners find you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay, I'm glad to be on. Thanks again, Blake. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at RickNader555, at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader, like in Terminator 555. I'm doing some net stuff for Elite Sports and Y. Check that out. Uh, over for the Yankees, I'm at pinstripeprospects.com. We've just finished up our draft coverage. As Blake talked about earlier, we had a great draft team writing all the profiles on all 40 players. We have a lot of interviews with the draftees. We had one of our writers at the draft talk to Anthony Siegler. So you can check that out. Uh, I'll be covering the Staten Island Yankees, so that starts for me on Friday. And on select Saturdays, they are the Staten Island Pizza Rats. So that's, that's a weird <laughs> name, but that's what they are. Uh, so you could cover it for me. Media Day is Thursday. Excited to get that season started and see some of these draft picks in action. I like what the Yankees did with Seager getting a switch hitting catcher. You rarely ever see that. We'll see if he's in Staten Island beating on Friday. But I, overall, with the Yankees' low bonus pool, I think they did a good job. And I think you'll like uh, some of these young hitters into the mix uh, when the Penn League season gets started. And we'll see where some of these Nats guys end up going, whether it's Auburn or uh, the Gulf Coast when their season starts this week. I'm definitely not Googling Pizza Rats hats to add to my collection. I'm tell I'm tell I don't like the name, but I like the logo. I act <laughs> I actually don't mind the logo. It looks really cool. I just don't get the they they tried this vote thing a couple of years ago where uh you got to vote and Pizza Rats was a finalist. Never actually I confirmed as the they're looking to rebrand from being just the Yankees. Um I'm not a big fan, but a lot of people seem to like it or choose to like it. So um, <laughs> We'll see how that goes, but I do I do right if you're gonna go for hats, I wouldn't necessarily dismiss getting a hat. <laughs> I'm I'm actually half tempted, but uh we'll move we'll move on. Remember to check out some of our content on the site this week. Again, I talked about it earlier. I looked at Justin Miller and how he's transformed himself from the um ineffective relief with the Rockies and Tigers to the dominant arm that we're seeing, and we could see him in high leverage roles. And also the JT Realmuto previewing a potential trade but again we've talked about that and uh kind of the realism around that remember to follow us on twitter at district on deck give us a like on facebook district on deck follow us on spreaker where you can download the app and have episodes downloaded automatically subscribe on itunes and google play get episodes again automatically downloaded to your ios or 
Android device will return on Thursday when the Nationals are preparing to head north of the void, north of the border. I was putting on an accidental Canadian accent. Uh, and they go back to the site of the Clown Question Bro incident in Toronto. So that'll be a fun one. We'll see you then.